You're listening to audio from St. Luke Church in Lexington, Kentucky. If you'd like to learn more or donate to this ministry, please check out our website at stlukelex.com. Our message today is a bridge between the last series and the one that's beginning next week. And our uh, passage today is from 2 Peter chapters, uh, excuse me, chapter 1, verses 16 to 21. I encourage you to read this along with me. We didn't repeat crafty myths when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Quite the contrary, we witnessed His majesty with our own eyes. He received honor and glory from God the Father when a voice came to him from the magnificent glory saying, this is my dearly loved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. In addition, we have a most reliable prophetic word and you would do well to pay attention to it just as you would to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Most important, you must know that no prophecy of Scripture represents the prophet's own understanding of things because no prophecy ever came by human will. Instead, men and women led by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Have you ever had an event in your life or read something or experienced something that was so profound that it altered your life and that it became an anchor in your life, so much so that you returned to it time and time again in your thoughts, Um, something that you could recall perhaps when things became uncertain or you had questions or doubts? I have. For me, it was an encounter with Scripture that convicted me of my call to become a pastor. I had known that God was calling me to something, to ministry, and it took me a while to really understand where he was leading me, but I trusted him, and I spent a lot of time in prayer and scripture. And then I can remember very clearly the moment that I was convicted when I read a scripture and I heard it in a fresh way and God telling me, this is the path I have for you. And I learned to accept and trust the identity that God had given me. I have that passage hanging in my office now, and I do turn to it from time to time still. What about you? Do you have those kind of moments in your life? It may not involve scripture, but encounters or events or experiences that really anchor you, that help you understand um, who you are or what's true. And you remind yourself, yeah, that really did happen. That really was true. I think that we all have those kind of moments. And I think the Apostle Peter had anchor moments as well. In fact, given how, who he hung out with, I think he probably had several. And this, yeah, and this event may have been the first, the one he's referring to. And this is what he's referring to. This is what he's talking about in this passage that we just read. This is what Peter witnessed with his own eyes. And what an image it is. What an experience. What an encounter. 
I'm sure it anchored him many times in the subsequent months and years. Here's the full description of the event, and this one is from the Gospel of Mark in chapter 9, but it's also recounted in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke as well. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. I just love that last line, don't you? Discussing what rising from the dead meant. I wonder how many different ideas they came up with. What could he possibly mean, right? How many conversations did they have while they're walking along the road together, while they're reclining over dinner together, while they're talking around a campfire, their heads bowed together so that other people don't hear them because they're not supposed to talk about it just yet? Well, eventually they did come to understand that Jesus meant exactly what he said, didn't they? So yeah, this was an experience that anchored Peter. It anchored him deeply. And today is Transfiguration Sunday. That's the day that we celebrate and recognize this event where Jesus was transfigured and shown in all of his glory to be who he really, really is. And this is what Peter saw and experienced. It's what he's referring to in this passage. This is the event where his appearance changed, his true divine nature was revealed to his disciples and disciples and his glory, his fulfillment of the law through Moses and the prophets and Elijah. It's a testimony to and a revealing of Jesus' identity. And this is what Peter's referring to in our passage. He's referring to this event and he's saying more too. He's reminding us that he's the eyewitness who explains the implications of that experience. He's going to tell them what it means and why it matters. Now, why does he need to relay again this event that's already covered three other places in the New Testament, an event that seems to have been known well? It's clear, isn't it? He's referring to Jesus' transfiguration for a purpose. Second Peter is a letter, and it seems to be a general letter. It's not necessarily addressed to one person or congregation as a lot of the New Testament letters are. This one, it, this one is written in a more general sense to a more general audience so that perhaps it can appeal or speak directly to several different churches. And it is clear, though, that he's reminding them of correct teaching. He's reminding them of truth. And as we see in his letter, he's speaking against some turmoil that's been created by false teachers who are saying that morally loose living is just fine. And the idea of Jesus coming judgment, well, that's mistaken. That did, that's not really going to happen. But Peter tells his audience that those teachings are false. And he knows that those teachings are false because he is a direct witness 
to who Jesus is. He saw it, he witnessed it, and therefore he knows that it's not some crafty myth. He says, we didn't repeat crafty myths when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Quite the contrary, we witnessed his majesty with our own eyes. Crafty myths. I love that, don't you? I think that's just fascinating. That is such an intriguing phrase. I was curious about it, and I thought, well, maybe it was just a quirk of the translation that I was using. So I looked it up in several different translations, and nope, that's what they say. Even the King James Version says, cunningly devised fables. Isn't that awesome? So no, this isn't a crafty myth. It's not made up. It's not a dream. It's not something that was devised to deceive and manipulate. It's true. They saw it. They experienced it. What Peter is saying is, it's real, and by the way, everything depends on it. Everything. Peter's saying that our hope depends entirely on Christ's manifestation of God's glory, and that it happened right here, right here in the midst of this fragile and chaotic world. Why? Because in the transfiguration, Jesus shows his true identity as God's divine son, And this identity springs from and also points beyond this earthy place that we inhabit. To understand this requires faith, of course. Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense at all. 1 Corinthians 1.18 reminds us that the teaching about the cross seems foolish to those who are lost, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. And this faith, it's only made possible through Christ's death and resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's in faith, through the Holy Spirit, that we see that Jesus is not merely human. We see because we have faith, and we have faith because we see. It's truth that's been revealed to us by God when we open ourselves to God. Now, more than that, the revelation of who Christ is in the transfiguration is much more than just showing us that Jesus is God, as if there was, this was some static thing or if Jesus has already accomplished what he set out to do. It's more than that. It also reveals that Jesus is the one who is yet to come. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is returning. Now, notice how Peter specifically defends the message of Christ's future return against some in his time who were saying that that's just not true. This is part of what he's referring to when he talks about those crafty myths. And he also talks about it a little bit further in his letter, especially in chapter 3. Peter reminds his audience, and he reminds us, that the Christian faith, it's not simply faith in Christ who lived and died and rose for us. It is also faith in that same Christ who is still to come, as he promised. And that means that we're not static either. We don't stop when we come to faith. In fact, far from having completed our moral and spiritual growth, Christians are constantly being transformed into Christ's glory. 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us, all of us are looking with unveiled faces at the glory of the Lord as if we were looking in a mirror. We're being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to the next degree of glory. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You might remember Pastor Brian keeps reminding us that we are being transformed into little Christ, right? Does that sound familiar? That's what being a Christian means, becoming little Christ. 
Our faith is a process, and yet at the same time, it's hope-filled and it's expectant. Verse 13 in chapter 3 of our letter reminds us that we wait for the new heavens and a new earth where righteousness is at home. Where righteousness is at home. That's what we long for, isn't it? Where righteousness is at home. At the transfiguration, Jesus shows us who he really is. He reveals his glory and his majesty, and God the Father announces that Jesus is his beloved son. Peter and John, both direct witnesses to it, say similar things. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the hope, and this is truth. The scriptures are our witnesses, and it is there that we find the light of Christ to illuminate the darkness of our lives every day. We read in verse 19 in our passage, in addition, we have a most reliable prophetic word, and you would do well to pay attention to it, just as you would to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. An English monk and great teacher and writer of the Middle Ages, or early Middle Ages, Bede the Venerable, comments on this passage. He says this, in the night of this world, so full of dark temptations where there is hardly anyone who does not sin, what would become of us if we did not have the lamp of the prophetic word? In the night of this world, so full of dark temptations where there is hardly anyone who doesn't sin, what would become of us if we did not have the lamp of the prophetic word? Peter says it's important that they've received the truth and it's important that they pay attention to it just as they would to a lamp in a dark place. And he says that our understanding of Scripture, it's guided by the Holy Spirit, not by what we want it to say. He urges them and us to look for the illumination of God's future glory as it's revealed to the disciples at the transfiguration of Christ and as it's given to us today by the Holy Spirit through the Holy Scriptures. In this way, the Holy Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, transforms us more and more fully into this divine glory until Christ, the morning star, rises fully in our hearts. It's clear in our passage, isn't it, that Peter's concerned for the well-being and spiritual growth of his readers. He knows that faith needs to be more than just agreement. It needs to actualize itself. It needs to actually do something. All the behaviors, he's listed them early in his letter. In chapter 1, verses 5 to 7, he says that we must make every effort to add moral excellence to our faith and to moral excellence, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, endurance, to endurance, godliness, to godliness, affection for others, and to affection for others, love. The message version says it like this. Complement your basic faith. I love that. Complement your basic faith with good character, spiritual understanding, alert discipline, alert discipline, passionate patience, reverent wonder. We could all use that, right? Reverent wonder. Warm friendliness and generous love. Each dimension fitting into and developing the others. Each dimension fits into and develops the others. These behaviors are what faith looks like, and they're also what faith induces. 
These are the behaviors that faith brings about. Do you remember also, Pastor Brian said last week, this is kind of turning into a pop quiz on last week, isn't it? What we believe affects how we behave, which determines what we become. Sound familiar? What we believe affects how we behave, which determines what we become. And it's a journey, it's a process. It's not static, we are constantly being transformed. Think back to Peter's response to the transfiguration in the Gospels. The younger Peter wanted to remain on the mountain and build booths for Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. The older Peter, though, he knows better. He knows that to do that would be to mistake who Jesus is and to misunderstand his identity and the nature of his mission. The younger Peter wanted to build tents to the three of them. He wanted to camp out there. The older Peter came to realize that remaining in that mountaintop experience is not the plan. It can't be. It can't because it's incomplete without the rest of the gospel story. Now, there's a fancy churchy term for what Peter experienced that was so transformational to him. His experience was a type of theophany. A theophany is a word that means a direct encounter with God. The transfiguration was a theophany, and there are several other theophanies in the Bible as well. We're learning lots of words today. Transfiguration, theophany, it's good stuff. Some of the other ones include God walking in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, Jacob wrestling with God, God appearing to Moses, God appearing to Joseph, and that's just naming a few of them. In his letter, Peter is deeply concerned with denouncing these heretical tendencies that he's seeing in the church around him, and he's criticizing those who are leading people astray with false teachings. He speaks as one of the eyewitnesses of the transfiguration in order to authenticate his subsequent teaching about the value of Scripture, its legitimate interpretation, and its inspiration. He's speaking truth. Here's what he's telling us. The transfiguration is a theophany that authenticates truth. Transfiguration is a theophany and it authenticates truth. Peter recognized it for what it was and he used it as the basis for his claims to truth. Now, something you've heard a lot um, recently and something, again, that Pastor Brian mentioned last week in talking about how to determine whether or not something is truth is to look at scripture, tradition, experience, and reason. And we can use those things to interpret, but we have to be careful in how we do it because scripture is primary. Scripture, by far, is the basis, it's the foundation, it's the biggest leg of the four if you want to think of it that way. The traditions of the church, the fundamentals of the faith, the basics that define Christianity, they're outlined in the creeds, and they're the next leg. There's a reason we said the full Nicene Creed again today. It really explains everything very well. This is what Christianity believes. The other two parts, experience and reason, they're not primary, but they are a part of the picture, and so they're also included. So if you're uncertain as to whether or not something is truth, you ask, does your question meet those criteria? If so, then it's truth. And if not, find out where it departs. Is the point of departure scripture? Is the point of departure one of the creeds? If so, then it's a crafty myth. Second Peter's point is that true Christian faith and life are not based on fabrications, on culture, or on how we might wish things to be. 
the real life of Jesus Christ. It's the foundation for our faith, and Scripture is our guide to Christian living. Scripture, interpreted as the Holy Spirit, shows us the meaning of the text in the context of a community of faith. Okay. It's kind of a lot, isn't it? Just a few little verses, and I think there's more in there than we might have expected. So maybe it'll help to think of it this way. Do you know that country song, You've Got to Stand for Something? You've got to stand for something or you'll fall for anything. I'm not going to sing it for you. <laughs> but maybe think of it like this. You've got to stand for the right thing or you'll fall for the wrong thing. Jesus is real. Scripture is primary. The Holy Spirit guides us in Christian thought and life, all in the context of the community of faith. These things anchor us. And here's the hope. This is 2 Peter 1.3. By his divine power, the Lord has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of the one who called us by his own honor and glory. The Lord has given us everything we need for true life. Amen. Let's pray. Holy God, you've shown us that what we believe is true, and yet sometimes we wonder. Thank you for hearing our doubts. Thank you that we can trust you and strengthen our faith. Remain with us in our doubts. You've surrounded, we are surrounded by crafty myths, God, and yet you've given us your word and your witness, the witness of people who walked with you. You've given us 2,000 years of tradition, which we acknowledge in the creeds, and you've given us this incredible community to walk with, to share with, to grow with, and to love. Thank you, Lord. We turn our eyes to you. You are our Savior. You're our hope. We love you, Lord. Amen. Please stand and sing.